before we begin our message time this morning, I want to show you a brief video uh, from uh, two of my very favorite people. Let's watch this together. Hi, I'm Jonathan, and this is my wife, Becca, and we have been doing the Through the Bible in 100 Days Challenge, and it's just been a real encouragement to us and to our marriage. I know for me, I knew I wouldn't be able to do it on my own if I didn't have somebody to do it with, so I'm just real thankful that Becca and I have been doing it together. I agree. Um, for me, it was just finding the time to actually make this happen. And so for us, that time has been after the kids have gone to bed. Hallelujah. Um, and we've been able to just sit down on the couch and read separately and then be able to talk about it afterwards. And whether that means we go research more things or we just talk about lessons we've learned while we were reading it. It's been a huge blessing for us in our nine years of marriage, being able to just sit down and consistently do Bible study um, together um, for this reading challenge. And so we just finished uh, the Old Testament uh, this past week, and now we're going to start the New Testament. And so if you haven't started, uh, I just want to encourage you that uh, you just find somebody that will do it with you if you need that, or just make that commitment to do it on your own, and uh, you'll just find that it just makes a huge difference in your life. So as you know, we've been doing our 100 Days Through the Bible. We started at the beginning of the year, and we are halfway through. Uh, we have done 50 days through the Old Testament. So I want to give you some challenges this morning. Uh, first of all, if uh, you've gotten a little bit behind, that's okay. Uh, don't uh, continue to read in the Old Testament. You won't catch up. You know, let's just uh, be honest about human nature. Let's all start tomorrow uh, with 50 days through the New Testament. And so we'll all start at the same place. Now, if you haven't been doing that with us, maybe you're new to our church or it just wasn't good timing for you when we started the 100 days, that's fine. Now is the perfect time for you to begin 50 days through the New Testament. You can go to our website, fbcnac.org, and there's a button there you can click. It'll give you all the information, tell you what to read each day. We're reading five days a week. I think I failed to say that when we started the 100 days. Some of you just so committed, you did seven days a week and you're halfway finished with the New Testament. That's okay if you've read too much, but we're going to do five days a week, next 10 weeks, 50 days through the New Testament. Now, here's a second challenge, and Jonathan really inspired me to do this as he shared with me how he and Becca were doing this a few weeks ago and just how meaningful it was to them. I want to challenge you to do this with your family. Uh, so if you've been reading alone, I've been reading alone, my family's been reading alone, uh, and sometimes things are crazy when you have teenagers, but the best we can, we're going to do our 50 days through the New Testament together. We'll read alone, we'll come together and discuss it every day. If the kids are out and about, my wife and I will discuss it, and we want to make this a family affair. And I just, I'm so encouraged by Jonathan and Becca and what they have done, the example that they have set. Uh, I want us, uh, I want my family to do that these next 50 days. And I want to challenge you to do that as well. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's an added thing to share what you have read with other people, have a conversation about that. And so let's do 50 days through the New Testament starting tomorrow. Go to the website and this will be, uh, be a lot of, a lot of fun. Uh, I will preach each week, uh, with the possible exception of Easter week, uh, I will preach each week on what we have read the previous week. And I'm going to do that today. We're, we're in Jonah chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Now, I'll just tell you, this is the hardest book in the Bible to find. And so if you want to cheat, there's a Bible in front of you in the rack, and you turn to page 844, and nobody will know but me and you that you needed the page number, okay? Jonah chapter 4. If you can find that, ah, 
One of the most interesting things about Jonah is he is the man who's known, he is known for what he got wrong. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing to be known for? Uh, we want to be known for getting some things right, but when you say the name Jonah, everybody thinks of the same thing. Jonah is known for what he got wrong. And so Jonah was called by the Lord, Jonah chapter 1, to go and share the, share the good news, to, to share really the bad news, good news, to, to tell the people of Nineveh that if they don't repent, the wrath of God is coming, but forgiveness is available, the bad news and the good news. And God sent Jonah to do that, but Jonah refused. And in fact, Jonah tried to escape the presence of the Lord, which, by the way, never works out very well. But he tried to escape the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And God sent a storm. Uh, Jonah was on a boat. Uh, the sailors threw him over, and he was swallowed by a great fish. Three days later, uh, he's back on land, and he does finally what God told him to do. Uh, so that's a sermon, right? We could just preach that and go home. Uh, do what God says do or get ready for the fish. Uh, but th there's something more I want you to see. Jonah had a terrible blunder in Jonah chapter 1, but his worst blunders were in Jonah chapter 4. And I want us to spend a few minutes just focusing on those blunders. They're, they're important because... The, the, the blunders that really characterize Jonah's life are, are things that, if we're not careful, will characterize our lives. Uh, these are sort of the occupational hazards for church people. Uh, Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. He knew God. He served God. He walked with God. Yet he had these four blunders. And you and I, we know God. We love God. We serve God. We walk with God. But if we're not careful, we will have these same four blunders in our lives. Churches can have these blunders. Churches that, that believe the Bible and know the Bible and preach the Bible, if they are not careful, can begin guilty of the same four blunders that characterized Jonah's life. This is an important chapter uh, for all the ways that we live and all the ways that we lead our church. So I just want to jump in. I'll give you a little bit of background. We've really talked through Jonah chapter one. Uh, Jonah does go after he gets out of the great fish and he preaches the message to the Ninevites. Uh, then the Ninevites repent and they turn to God. God sends a revival among these uh, very wicked people, formerly very wicked people, and God saves them, so to speak. And then we pick up with the story, Jonah chapter four, verse one, right there. You would think now that Jonah is going to be on top of the world, right? I mean, if God let me go into a city and preach and hundreds of thousands of people responded, I would be pretty excited. But let's see what Jonah's attitude really is. Verse 1, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, the one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." Jonah says, God, I knew that you would be loving and you would be kind and you would show grace and mercy. And he's not happy about it. Now, why would Jonah not be happy? Well, this isn't the focus of the message, but Jonah had forgotten that the way that he knew God was because of the, of the mercy and the grace of God. 
And he knew God the same way now the Ninevites know God because of God's, God's kindness that had been poured down on him just like it had been poured down on the Ninevites. See, sometimes people think that those people need the grace and mercy of God, but we sort of have an inside track. I mean, my life's, you know, pretty smooth and I don't have any terrible uh, things in my life. So, you know, I started out pretty close to God and just needed a little bit of help. But those people over there, now they're so far from God, their only hope is the grace and mercy of God. But that's not the case. Those people, their only hope was the grace and mercy of God. For me, for Jonah, the only hope was the grace and mercy of God. When Jonah was upset that those people had experienced God's grace, he had forgotten that he had experienced it just the same way. Well, verse 4, the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. And he made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. He's still hoping God will strike them dead. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. So God gave him a little bit of shade. Uh, Verse 7, when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. And you know, sometimes God does those things. Sometimes he'll give you a plant and give you some shade and some days... He'll take it away. And it's a little bit of a test. And it was a test for Jonah. Jonah didn't do so well. Look at verse 8. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted. And he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Probably a little bit of an exaggeration. uh, But that's what we do when we have a pity party. Verse 9 says, then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is, Jonah replied. I'm angry enough to die. And so the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. What were the four blunders that Jonah made in this chapter that we need to guard against in our lives and in our church? Number one, Jonah misunderstood the heart of God. Now, Jonah thought he understood the heart of God. And in fact, Jonah explained the heart of God pretty well. Back in verse two, uh, when he said that God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, Uh, He he talked a good game about God, but understand that there's a difference between what you know in your head about God and what you can say with your lips about God and what you have really embraced, what you really believe in your heart, what you deep down know is true. And Jonah said that he believed that God was gracious and compassionate, but his actions said something very different. There's often amongst church people, amongst Old Testament prophets and New Testament church people, there's often a difference between what we can say with our lips and know in our heads and what we really embrace in our lives. For instance, we we know what it takes to have a godly marriage. Most people know exactly what it takes. But doing that is another story sometimes. Uh, We know what the Bible says about giving and giving sacrificially and how God honors giving. Uh, But 
oftentimes our obedience is lacking. We know what the Bible says about how to be wealthy. Let's just talk about practical things. Uh, make more, spend less, right? That's not too complicated. Uh, yet when we live that out, it is much more difficult. We know many things about diet and fitness and exercise, but knowing those things, doing those things can be very different things. Now, how do we know that Jonah's knowledge of God's compassion was just in his head and not in his life. Because when you have that in your heart, when you have a, a fresh knowledge of the goodness and grace of God, it changes you. It makes you want to share that grace and that mercy, the news of that grace and mercy with other people. When you have a fresh experience of it, you want to go and tell people about it. It motivates you. There was no motivation in Jonah's life. He didn't want to go preach. The only reason he preached to the Ninevites is because God forced him to. He was obligated to. And when he finished preaching the sermon, he was mad that God had rescued the Ninevites. It's because either he didn't have that experience of grace and mercy or more likely he had forgotten about it. He had allowed it to grow stale in his life. Do you know some people, and I bet there's people right here in our church this morning that this would be true of, but do you know some people who are very passionate about raising money for cancer research? Do you know some of those people? My mom used to be one of those uh, people that, and, and like I said, uh, I'm sure there's some here, and, and, and thank the Lord for you. Uh, there's some people, that's just their passion, and they uh, relay for life and, and cancer society benefits and all the things, and that's just, they, they wake up in the morning thinking about that. Now, other people uh, just, just not as uh, passionate about that. I, th honestly, that's just not on my list. I, I don't think about raising money for cancer research very often at all. I've given a couple of times when people have asked me to give. And, and you know, I'm, I'm as against cancer as the next guy. I am as thankful for research as anybody else. Uh, I... Um, but it's just not, it's just not a passion of mine. I'm glad it's a passion that somebody has, but it's just not a passion of mine. Now, why is that? Why are some people just passionate about raising money for cancer research and other people, frankly, we, we just don't give it a lot of thought. It's because of this. And if you know some of those people, you, you, you'll recognize this truth. Most of those people who are just passionate about it are cancer survivors, Right? Or they've had a spouse or a child uh, suffer with cancer, some serious form of cancer, and, and, and they have had such an experience with it that they have a motivation that, frankly, somebody like me just can't really appreciate. I know when my mom was, was spending so many hours working on that, when she, was, when she was a little healthier and she could just give it her heart and soul, I just wondered, Mom, where is this passion coming from? Well, for her, it's coming from the fact that much of years ago, she was told she had just about a month to live because of cancer. And she struggled with that. And God, that's been seven years now. And she's doing, she's doing great. But, but she has had that experience that I've not had. And it's birthed in her that passion just like it's birthed in many of you, that same passion. So, so now let's go back to Jonah. Jonah has no passion for sharing the Lord. Why is that? Because Jonah doesn't really have this fresh understanding of the grace and the mercy in his, in his own life. Can, can you remember 
when you were lost and hopeless and there was nothing you could do to fix your life or to save your soul or to overcome your sin and you recognize that were it not for Jesus dying on the cross, if it were not for Jesus and, and, and giving you a gift that you absolutely don't deserve, don't even a little bit deserve, that there was no hope for you. Can you remember when you understood that and you trusted in what Jesus did? And, and the Bible uses the language born again. You were given new life because you trusted in Jesus. The Bible also uses the language of adoption. You were adopted into the family of God. The Bible uses the language forgiveness. You were forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future, because you, you embraced the grace and mercy of God. We have to remember that. That needs to be fresh in our lives. And when that's fresh in our lives, then we will have, a, we will have that uh, cancer research fundraising zeal to share the gospel, to share the gospel. We, we will have that kind of excitement because it's born out of the experience, our personal experience of the grace and the mercy of God. What was the first blunder? Jonah misunderstood the heart of God. He just didn't really understand God's compassion. He had forgotten of God's grace and mercy. And because of that, he, he failed to love the Ninevites. You know, we can do that. We can do that as individuals, and we can do that as a church. And there are a lot of churches that believe the Bible and preach the word and sing great songs and anthems, and they love one another. There are a lot of churches that have just forgotten their experience of the grace and mercy of God. And they really have no concern or care for the people outside the church because their, their knowledge of God's, their experience of God's grace has grown stale. Let us as individuals, let us as a church not blunder like Jonah blundered and misunderstand the heart of God. Now, the second uh, blunder is this, the circle of Jonah's care and concern only included people like himself. So Jonah gets this instruction from the Lord, go and, and preach in Nineveh. Now Jonah was a prophet. Jonah preached every day. This was not a new assignment. Jonah was used to sharing about God and used to sharing a message from God, good and bad. That was his job, that was his career, that was his life. So now, why is he struggling with this instruction? Go and share with the people in Nineveh. Listen, church, the reason he didn't want to share is because he didn't like the people in Nineveh. It's just as simple as that. Uh, Jonah didn't like the people in Nineveh because, because they weren't the same color as him. The people in Nineveh didn't speak the same language that he spoke. The people in Nineveh had different lifestyles. They ate different foods. They celebrated different holidays. And because they were different from him, he didn't like them. And because he didn't like them, he didn't care for them, and he wouldn't share the gospel, at least not willingly. So we need to be careful because as Christians, we can be guilty of what Jonah was guilty of. We, our, our circle of people we care about can, can become a, a circle that only includes people just like us, just like us. Friends, that's sin. And, 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 and you know, if somebody's circle wasn't wider than themselves, none of us 
would come to know Christ, right? The disciples didn't look like me. They didn't talk like me. They, don't eat, they didn't eat like me. They didn't dress like me. They, don't, they didn't celebrate like me. They, they're very different. But because their circle of concern was beyond people who looked like them, you and I know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and we need to have this same enlarged circle group and focus and care and concern for people. It's easy as, as Christians and as a church to just limit it to, to, people, to people like us. Listen to how the New Testament says this, and, and I could point to a dozen verses, but 1 John 4, 20, if anyone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I think this is, uh, this sin in, in Jonah's life is one that if we're not careful, find its way in, in our lives. I, I served um, uh, my first church, uh, the oldest church in Winston County, Mississippi, one of the oldest churches in the state of Mississippi, proud church, uh, going back many, many generations. They believed the Bible. They loved each other. They, they sang beautiful songs. They, they had a beautiful building. They had a heritage. They had all those things. Uh, one day... Um, a black person came to a youth event. I had just been pastor there a few months. And um, you would have thought uh, that uh, uh, Moscow had declared World War III against the United States. There were meetings. There were, um, I can even tell you all the things that happened. People furious, furious. Pastor, we can't let that happen in our church. It came... Uh, came down to some things. If you've ever seen the movie Mississippi Burning, uh, we were right there, right there in that same area, those same people. And um, that came to church every week, read their Bible every day. They didn't want the gospel shared with somebody that didn't look like them. I remember I just married a short time. Somebody showed up at my house, pulled in my driveway and Blew his horn on his truck until I came outside. I thought, what, is, what does this gentleman want? And he said, listen, you've got 48 hours to move you and your wife out of here. I've honestly never been so scared in my life. Uh, we um, uh, had somebody come to the church with a gun to kill me one day. Uh, and uh, God just stepped in. And, you know, that, that church ended up experiencing a great revival. And uh, God blessed, and, and we served there many more years, and it probably were the sweetest days of my ministry just in, in seeing fruit and seeing how God moved. But, you know, it, it, it took an adjustment. It, it, it took a Jonah kind of adjustment where we had to recognize that, that our circle of concern couldn't just include people just like us, that the gospel mandate on us is for everybody. And Jonah made this blunder, and it, and it cost him. I remember the last church I served, we had a gentleman in our church. He'd been there a couple of years, he and his family, friends of mine, in fact. And, and he came to see me one day. And he was not a wealthy man, but he was closer to that than most of us in the church. And he came and he said, Pastor, my family won't be back. And I said, well, I really hate to, hate to hear that. I'm very sorry. 
Is there a problem I can solve? Is there, is there a question I can answer? What's, what's wrong? And he said, well, you know, I've got, I've got two children, three children, three, three children, I think. Uh, and he said, you know, they're coming to church on Wednesday night. And I just don't want my kids hanging out with some of the kids that come on the bus on Wednesday night and sit in those classrooms and smell like they do and look like they do. I don't want my kids associated with that. And I thought, well, you know, my kids are over there too. But I tell you that God doesn't love my kids any more than he loves the kids who had to ride the bus. And my sentiment to my friend was, you think perhaps there's a better church for you to go to? There probably is. Because we're just gonna love on the kids that are here. And we're not going to ask what their dad does or even if they have a dad. We're not concerned with what color their skin is or whether or not they couldn't get a ride to church because their parents just didn't care. Um, we're just going to minister to the people God sends us. See, we, if we're not careful, we'll make this blunder that Jonah made. Our circle of care and concern will just be people that look like us. Same amount of money that we have. Same, same uh, heritage. Same... The uh, way they were brought up is, is, is us, and that's, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, number three, his focus was on the temporary, not the eternal. And so here are all these people who have uh, been rescued from the wrath of God, 120,000, I think it said. And what's Jonah focused on? Jonah's focused on the plant that was giving him some shade. And Jonah's so focused on this plant that he says, oh, the plan is gone. I need to just die right here. It's amazing how when you get just focused on your own concerns, when you focus on the, the temporary instead of the eternal, it can just sort of take over in, in your life. Uh, he was focused just on the temporary. And, 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 you know, I think oftentimes we're just focused on the plant, just the plant that comes up overnight. It can go away overnight. It's the temporary stuff that captures our focus, that, that motivates our arguments, that excites our heart, that causes us to worry, that fills our prayer. Lord, fix this and fix that. We need to be focused, not as Joseph was focused, just on the temporary. But we need to be focused on the things that last forever. I mean, here are all these people, 120,000 people in the book of Jonah uh, that, that were created in the image of God and who are going to live forever. Jonah wasn't concerned about those people. He was concerned about the leaf on a plant that it might provide some shade for him during, during the day. He was focused on the, uh, on the temper, temporary. You know how you can tell a person who's focused on the temporary? You know how you, let's, let's don't think about other people. Let's think about ourselves. You know how you can tell if you're focused more on the temporary than the eternal? I've got a list. If you find yourself always fighting for your preferences... You know, I want the temperature to be this. I want the wall color to be that. You know, I, I, I want those people to move out of my way when I'm driving. I want the city to do this and the church to do that and the school place to do this. You know, if everything is about your preferences, then you're probably focused on the temporary, not the eternal. If you find yourself getting angry about inconveniences, things that inconvenience you, and we all have inconveniences and we would rather not be inconvenienced, surely, but if you find that inconveniences make you an angry person, then you're more focused on the temporary than the eternal. If you find yourself being stingy with your resources, always worried you might not have enough, that you might not be able to do everything that you want to do, and so you're stingy about your resources, then 
You're focused more on the temporary than the eternal. If you find yourself always complaining, complaining about your problems, and and we have problems and we ought to be able to share those with people who can encourage us and pray for us and help us in some way, but but oftentimes people just complain and complain and complain and and, and complaints, that's like 50% or more of everything that comes out of their mouths. Well, if, if we're just characterized by complaints, then we're somebody who is focused on the temporary, not the eternal. What are some indicators that we're focusing on the eternal? We could give a long list, but I'll share a few. Uh, Generous and sacrificial giving. Somebody that's willing to give and to be sacrificial in their giving. That's somebody focused on the eternal. Someone who serves. It's amazing. There are 150, 200 people at this church that serve the ministries here like it was a part-time job. I am amazed at how hard they work. I'm amazed at the sacrifices they make. When the, in the choir and in the youth ministry and the children's ministry and college ministry and other ministries and adult Sunday school and uh, all kind of things. I'm amazed at how hard some people work. But I'm amazed at what a small percentage that is of all who attend. Um, Another mark of a focus on the eternal is missions. Being a part of missions, going, it costs you time and your energy and your money, but but taking the gospel to other places, uh, foster care, adoption. I, I, I think when the people in our church who are actively looking to foster children, to those who have adopted in the last two or three years, what a great way to focus on the eternal. How about sharing the gospel with friends and family when it is hard to share? When it is hard to share. That's someone who focuses on the eternal. One of my modern day Christian heroes is Jim Elliott. You may know the story of Jim Elliott. Missionary was was killed in the line of service, uh, in the line of uh, serving, so to speak. Uh, I I love his quotes. and, And he said many things that just are filled with wisdom. For instance, He once said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that good? That that helps us focus on the eternal. You are no fool if you give up something you couldn't keep anyway to gain something that lasts for eternity. But I'll tell you another quote, and I'm going to paraphrase this. I couldn't find the exact wording this week. Uh, But Jim Elliott ultimately lost his life uh, ministering to the Wadani, a tribe that did not know Jesus, a very violent tribe. People had tried to reach out to them unsuccessfully through the years. Uh, But Jim Elliott and and some of his friends decided that this would be their mission in life. And so they several times went and tried to communicate and with an attempt to learn the language and ultimately share the gospel with the Wadani. And uh, on one trip... Uh, Jim Elliott was packing his stuff and he was about to leave. And if you know the end of the story, Jim Elliott ultimately is speared to death by the people he's trying to share, share the gospel with and he dies. But one, one time he's packing his stuff and his son, young son, maybe 10 years old, sees that he's packing a gun in the rest of his gear. And he says, Dad, why are you packing the gun? Is, is it that dangerous? If you're threatened, will you shoot somebody? so that you can come home? And Jim Elliott looked at his son and said, oh, no, no, son, that's not what it's for. You see, we can't shoot the Wadani. They don't know Jesus. And he lost his life the next day. So we have to be people who are different from Jonah. Jonah focused on the temporary, on the leaf that would give some shade. 
I'll just be transparent with you. I, I, I'm afraid that most of the things that bother me and most of the concerns of my life and a lot of times the things I'm praying for so passionately are just leaves over my head. We need to have a focus as well on eternity. So that was his third blunder. Number four, very quickly, is he valued personal comfort more than the welfare of the people. And we've already read the verses. I won't read them again. Uh, he was so focused on, uh, on this leaf. When the leaf goes away, he says, I just need to die. Well, what an exaggeration. But when we focus on our personal comfort and things don't go well, then we think the whole world's coming to an end because our world has gotten so narrow. If your whole world is just about you being comfortable, then when you're not comfortable, um, then there's no, no more life. That's what um, Jonah thought. That's why he said he, he wished he could die. Um, we need to focus on the welfare of other people. Uh, I remember several years ago, I hung church I served in, I hung two posters in every single room in the church, including the bathrooms, okay? I didn't want you to be able to escape from these two posters. And one of them said this, everyone you know will live forever somewhere. Everyone you know, everyone will live forever somewhere. And the second poster was my paraphrase of Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus said, the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction and many people you know are on that road. But narrow is the gate that leads to life and few people find it without the help of someone who cares enough to share. And so we left them up. We actually left them up for a long, long time, but they were up maybe two or three weeks when somebody pulled me aside and, and, and this was a good experience, not a bad experience. I don't want to paint it with, with the wrong brush. Uh, but it, I don't know if it started off good. He, he pulled me aside and he said, Pastor, you know, I, I, I'm just not a fan of those posters you've put up everywhere. He said, that's unsettling. <laughs> and I thought, yes. <laughs> it is unsettling. Everybody you know will live forever somewhere. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and most people are on it. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. See, Jonah's final blunder is that he valued his personal comfort more than the welfare of other people, their eternal welfare. So you might ask the question, how did it work out for Jonah? Because you, you look at the last verse in the book, it's, it's God asking the question, uh, should I not be caring for people? And there's no response. It's like, well, Jonah, you left off the last verse. So what was your answer, Jonah? What did you say? God said, well, what do you think, Jonah? Should I not care for people? And it's just silence. So what did Jonah do? Well, you've got to understand that this book was not written by a reporter on the scene, you know, from the Dallas News or something. Uh, this is Jonah's testimony. And the very fact that Jonah wrote this down and shared this with people tells us that this is his testimony of his change of heart. See, Jonah, Jonah changed. Jonah recognized that his circle of concern was way too small. He, he recognized that he valued personal comfort more than he valued the welfare of other people. He, he recognized he was focused on the eternal, uh, the temporary things, not the eternal things. And this, so far as we know, for the rest of Jonah's life, became his sermon. This is his sermon. And he would, he would tell this story. And then he would just look to the people and say, now it's your time to answer the question. 
See, see, the purpose of this book is not for Jonah to answer the question. The very fact that Jonah wrote it, Jonah answered the question. Now, Jonah would, this was his sermon. His sermon was a lot shorter than mine, I know. I'm saying that because somebody will point that out when it's over. But Jonah would give this sermon, and then he would, all right, what are you, these are my blunders. What about you? What about you? So we're going to end where he ended. Bow your head, close your eyes, if you will. Jonah had an opportunity to be a part of something incredible. But he blew it with his blunders, with his selfishness. He was a poster child for childishness. And I personally find the book of Jonah disturbing because I'm afraid I see many of those character qualities in myself. So what are we going to do? That's, that's Jonah's question. That's why the book ends with a question. What about us? What about us? Father, please help us to broaden our circle. Help us to be committed enough to the eternal that we'll share the gospel with our friends and our family. Invite our neighbors to church. Father, help us to have a, a, a fresh remembrance of how you saved us through the blood of Christ. And let that motivate us. Let that make us passionate about going and sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you need to respond. If you're coming to join our church, you can come as well. Let's sing as people make decisions.